now, this is Box to Box with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley. Oh, what a goal! For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. Absolutely fantastic! Hello and welcome to Box to Box, the show that is everything football. Gilbert with Rob Gilbert and Michael Edgley to run the rule over the past week in the world game. First edition news with Willem van Dander and Shortby, and of course our former ITN journo turned pundit Derek Dyson will be joining us throughout the show. Now as we count down the days to the Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand less than a year away, one of the key concerns is the depth of the women's game in this country, which we've discussed many times on the show in the past. So keen observers were excited to see the young Matilda start the Under-20s World Cup with a comeback win against host Costa Rica. That was until consecutive losses to Brazil and Spain saw them exit at the group stage. Not disgraced, but they never look like winning either game. We'll talk to former Matilda and commentator for 10 and Paramount Plus, Grace Gill, to see what positives can be taken out of the tournament as we look ahead. More on the Matildas and Socceroos after that with Willem. Then, after a 20-plus year exile from the top flight, one of the great clubs of English football returned to the Premier League this season, and it didn't take long for Nottingham Forest fans to lift the proverbial roof at the city ground with a thrilling round two win over one of last season's big improvers, West Ham. We'll talk to the BBC's Simon Stone to give us his thoughts on the return of the tricky trees and prospects for the season ahead. And, of course, we'll wrap it up with everything else in stoppage time. Now, Edge, um, you are back in Australia in a few days' time. You haven't returned to... Uh, the land of uh, your birth since uh, we qualified for the World Cup. You're ticking down the days, but you've been watching plenty of football while you've been away in this fabulous sports bar in Bangkok you sent us some pictures of. Yeah, no, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, I've been catching up with, obviously, the under-20 Women's World Cup and the uh, progress of the young Matildas, and we're sadly say they've been eliminated from the competition, and we've got lots to talk to, uh, to, to Grace Gill to uh, unpack what um, it means for the Matildas uh, Elite Development Program and whether it's been a successful or not uh, sojourn in Costa Rica and those young Matildas will be heading back to their uh, A-League women's clubs to uh, kickstart their professional careers at a club level. Uh, There's a lot to like about that group, but there's also some hard questions and I'm looking forward to unpacking that. And who can not, how can we not mention what's happened with the, the giants of English football at Old Trafford. They are in a world of pain. And uh, I've been enjoying watching Manchester United fans in that sports bar, Rob, mm. uh, not very happy with themselves. I suppose the only good thing that I could take from that is that it uh, does take your attention off the woes at Anfield. But I'm sure you'll get to that at some stage during the show. I know you're too well-edged to think that you wouldn't. Um, Willem? Um, What's happened at Anfield? Yeah, I'm sure you'll uh, you'll talk about it as the show. Well, why don't you explain yourself for the, the all Oh, well, hang on. Willem's got we'll all the We'll get there. We'll get there. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you, you take over, Willem. Well, they're just sharing the love, Manchester United, aren't they, Rob? They're providing uh, – last week we had Andy Naylor on from The Athletic and they provided Brighton with one of the great days in their history. Now they've shared the love with Brentford, four goals inside 35 minutes. Uh, they're just sharing it around Manchester United. They'll be back. I want to start with uh, the Australia Cup, guys. We've had a cup set this week. Sydney United, formerly Sydney Croatia, have defeated the A-League champions, Western United, on penalties to advance to the quarterfinals. United have a proud record in National Cup competitions as winners of the 1987 NSL Cup, and they've now reached the last eight at the fifth time of asking in the modern era. They'd leveled the score in the second half through Tarek Meyer and leaned heavily on goalkeeper Daniel Nizic throughout the tie. The moment of glory fell to Christian Gonzalez. 
In Queensland, Peninsula Power booked their place in the quarterfinals with two goals in 30 seconds to overhaul Green Gully, meaning they'll join Sydney FC and MacArthur in the last eight. Rob, two brilliant ties. The second four matches uh, and the draw will be completed by the time you tune into this on Thursday uh, morning. And I'm loving the momentum uh, that the Rapid Fire Cup is building. Usually we've had sort of uh, rounds spaced out over various months, but with the, the draws happening and you only have to wait one or two weeks, clubs can build momentum and the stories can build uh, momentum as well. So I think they might have found the balance with it. Yeah, it, it feels like that. I think there's been a lot of good uh, news stories come out of uh, what was the FA, FFA Cup and now the Australia Cup um, over the last um, well, several years, even predating COVID, of course. Uh, um, it was one of the, the highlights of, of the previous broadcast uh, when Foxtel had the rights, wasn't it? And, uh, um, you know, as they continue to tweak, I think uh, the the credit c- continues to, to be uh, – uh, it's important uh, – to hand it out to the people that are involved in, in, the, in the, the adjustments to the schedules and the fixturing as well, isn't it, Well, It is. And Michael, Sydney Croatia, one of our uh, richest clubs throughout history, never won the NSL, did make a couple of grand finals, but as I said, won the uh, the NSL Cup in 1987. Uh, the man about to lead us to the World Cup, Graham Arnold, is, of course, uh, a Sydney Croatia boy. Could you give us just a quick word on what they've represented uh, to Australian football throughout the years? Oh, Robbie Slater, Mark Bosnich, just a couple of uh, huge names that have come through uh, Sydney Croatia. I, I mean, let's not um, <laughs> let's not give Sydney uh, United fifty eight the absolute moment in a sunshine. That is a huge result. They beat the reigning A League Grand Final Cup winners, um, and they've beaten them on their home deck in a massive upset. I mean, no one would have expected them to get over the top of Western United. So, absolutely fantastic. That's what this tournaments about and uh, I think you've just mentioned it as well you know great scheduling to give the um, the NBL clubs the best opportunity to compete uh, against the A-League clubs and that is just a magnificent result and a real shot in the arm for all of the proponents of the B-League because we know the storied histories of these club create emotion it creates uh, engagement and in the event in some time in the future when one of these storied clubs gets the opportunity to get in the B-League and eventually get in the A-League, they will come from everywhere to support them. It'll be the the injection of electrification that the sport needs and we need to keep promoting that as a goal to be achieved. And we saw a bit of it last weekend. Congratulations to Sydney Croatia. Uh, uh, you deserve your moment in the, sun, in, the, in the sun and we look forward to seeing what they can do in the quarterfinals. The Asian Champions League knockout stages commence this week with Kevin Musket and Yokohama F. Marinos facing a single leg round of 16 clash with Vissel Kobe on Thursday. This is the point to which Musket led Melbourne victory in 2015-16 where they were comfortably accounted for by John Book Motors. While they went in that night as underdogs, they looked the favourites this time against Kobe who were having the season from hell in Japan. They sit 16th of 18 and this match is going to be readily watchable for Australian viewers Thursday at night, 9pm Australian Eastern Standard Time on 10 play. The other Eastern matchups in the Champions League are Daegu against Jombuk, Johor Darul Tazim against Urawa Reds, and BG Patham United against Kichi of Hong Kong. Michael, before I come to you 
on Patam and what that means for Thai football. Uh, Rob, I'll uh, I'll come to you. This is a massive, massive opportunity uh, for Musket. We know he's leading, uh, and he and his side are leading the J League. We know he's had a lot of doubters uh, across his management uh, career. We spoke to Paul Williams a couple of weeks ago about how his uh, reputation as a player uh, is no longer being reflected in how he's going about his management. Uh, and you never know, they could advance here and then get drawn against uh, the matchup which looms as possibly the weaker one, Patum against Kitchen. So, as I said, huge opportunity here. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. I mean, we've we've been watching uh, Musky Watch. I think it uh, was originally Ange Watch when you uh, gave it that uh, that nickname uh, a few years back. The uh, emergence of Australian managers on the world scene, admittedly, it's relative baby steps. But if you look at it in the context of, of international sport, uh, with uh, with cricket and rugby, um, uh, those two games, uh, we have uh, lots of representatives. Uh, uh, other sports, swimming and tennis, and uh, uh, and our history of, of um, elite performance um, matched with with the history of, of elite coaching performance. So it shouldn't be any surprise to to any of us that the players, uh, well, particularly Muskie, who obviously had a you know a better playing pedigree than than Ange did, um, but he you know he backed it up with a with a strong um, A League management. Uh, um, uh, career for for the period that he was here, and um, you know had a little bit of a misstep in Belgium, but then again, uh, you know not the first time that a that a manager uh, you know goes one step back before he goes forward. So now it's great news, and we're happy to get Muskie on uh, on the show um, in the next uh, month or so to to have a chat about it as well. Crystal Palace defender Joaquin Anderson has reported death threats to police following the sending off of Darwin Nunez in their one-all draw with Liverpool. Nunez was sent off on 57 minutes for a headbutt on Anderson, who later claimed three to four hundred abuse messages were sent his way on Instagram. As of June, in the UK, people convicted of football-related online hate crimes can receive bans from attending matches. Rob, this isn't a unique story. Unfortunately, we sort of cover plenty of things in and around this type of uh, online abuse, and I think people know where we sort of stand on it uh, and any uh, sane people which side they stand on it. So we don't need to get into that part of it too much, I don't think. But on Nunez, uh, the treatment wasn't that bad and he's going to get that every week in the Premier League and he didn't even last the 90 minutes. It wasn't a late game sort of thing. He was two-thirds of the way through so he's going to need to tighten that up. 100%. I mean, obviously anyone who listens to this show knows which club I support and uh, and it was great uh, to, to watch Darwin Nunes uh, hit his uh, straps in, in round one and, and get off the, the mark but uh, he, he embarrassed himself and, um, and, and couldn't have had a worse possible uh, debut at Anfield and those uh, well, so-called fans that you refer to who are uh, are, are, um, posting death threats online. I do hope they all, uh, every single one of them, uh, have uh, at the very least are talking to by the police. And if, uh, you know, their words were uh, vehement enough, uh, then they deserve to suffer charges, not only because of what they did, but also the fact that they're just downright dumb because the reality of the situation was it wasn't Anderson who who provoked it in the first place. So I know, um, you know, I might mention this uh, um, uh, at, at various stages during the show, but uh, even as a Liverpool fan, uh, you could clearly see in the build-up to that that he'd he'd already given Anderson a, a little nudge on uh, the chin of, with the of the back of his head, and and that's what prompted the push in the first place. So it wasn't Anderson's fault; it was Nunes's fault. And even if uh, the fault was on the other foot, it was just downright stupid to do what he did um, and uh, and get a red card. And uh, um, you know he can just be grateful that, that that they got away with that game with a point. Final one before we welcome in Grace. I'm going to start a new segment. It's called World Cup Corner. 
Connor. It's going to start small and humble today with just the one story, but I think as the months go on, guys, it's going to consume the show. So by the time we get to mid-November, the whole show is going to be World Cup Corner. Ghana legend Asamoah Gyan has commenced a personal fitness regime as he targets a fourth World Cup despite winning the last of his 107 caps in 2019. Gyan will be 37 when the tournament begins and has been without a club for over a year, but has his eyes on revenge against Uruguay following their legendary 2010 quarterfinal where he was, of course, the sort of tragic figure uh, at the death of it. His six World Cup goals from 2006 to 2014 make him Africa's highest scorer at the tournament, and he's referenced Roger Miller's 94 comeback as his inspiration. Michael, he hasn't spoken to Otto Addo as yet, the Ghanaian manager, but this is something of a public uh, public campaign. I just absolutely love the man. That was one of the matches where I truly fell in love with the game. I went from sort of liking it, having a, a fair watch to it, uh, to being up late at night uh, as a, how old was I? Uh, 13, 14? Uh, when he, yeah, plays that one over the bar against Uruguay. He was also really good in their uh, clash against Germany in 2014. Uh, and these are the sort of stories that we love around World Cup time. Right, boys. Well done. Um, let's uh, wrap this up and uh, we'll talk to Grace Gill after the break. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what she said. She watched every minute and uh, and has uh, uh, her Matilda's allegiance uh, closely aligned to, to her views, but she's uh, not one to pull punches, Grace, so stick around. Grace Hill next to talk about the under-20s Women's World Cup on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box, and we are counting the days down to the Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. Less than a year away, and we do watch very closely the depth of women's football in this country because we know that one of the key strengths, particularly when you look at uh, England winning the Euros recently, uh, one of the keys to their success was that depth on their bench that uh, uh, the uh, the the manager Serena Wiedman was able to employ to, to come out uh, and uh, and change the game 30 minutes in and that's what obviously Australia needs and uh, and looking at that depth of course is uh, the under 20 World Cup the uh, the young Matildas who uh, who did well um, not disgraced of course uh, they had a great uh, start coming back against uh, Costa Rica but couldn't get the job done against Brazil and Spain and and uh, someone who watched all of it is uh, 10 and Paramount Plus commentator and of course former Matilda herself Grace Gill and we welcome Grace to the show. How are you, Grace? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for having me. No, not at all. And uh, and Grace, um, look, is it fair to say that uh, the, the results indicate w- w- where we are in, in world football? Um, you know, 2 0 against Brazil, 3 0 against Spain in a must win match, 2 uh, 0 down after just 20 minutes. Uh, um, we didn't really look like uh, winning either game, but, uh, but we weren't, um, uh, you know, played off the park at the same time. Yeah, look, I think that's a fair summary. Brazil in particular, uh, they're a world-class side and some of the talent they've got in that team um, is honestly just a cut above the rest. And uh, it's a really important measure for the young Matildas and for uh, women's football in Australia at that youth age. But the tournament experience is invaluable. And something that we do need to remember about a team like Brazil is that they've recently been crowned the champions at the under-20 Copa America where they didn't they didn't concede a goal. So while we can look at um, the Matildas, the young Matildas, and, and their difficulty against such a class side, uh, they're not the only team that struggles against Brazil. And similarly, Spain uh, are just quality. And we saw, as you mentioned there, turn you down after just 20 minutes. And they're just so clinical in that final third. And I think that's a part of the young Matildas game that will develop. But certainly the experience for that group of girls for Leah Blaney's team, I'm sure, will be 
invaluable and um, really memorable as well for them in their careers to come. Grace, um, tournament football comes, the games come thick and fast. The one question I have is, did Leah Blaney uh, use the squad enough? The girls look cooked in the Brazil game and, again, extremely tired, the ones that had backed up uh, for all three games. Did she use the bench uh, enough through the course of this tournament? It probably wouldn't have changed results much, but um, I just thought the starting lineups mm. were very similar right through the event and um, I think anybody who uh, looks at these things sort of impartially would think that's a bit strange. I think the point you make around uh, a squad difference, particularly against the Brazil game, may not have changed the outcome, but it's true. Tournament football is really tough to manage load and when the games are 72 hours apart and again, particularly the Brazil game, when you're playing in these monsoonal conditions of heavy legs, I wasn't surprised to then see a few changes into the Spain game, considering that that game against Brazil would have been particularly taxing on those girls who did play 90 minutes against Costa Rica and then backing up 90 minutes against 90 minutes or, or close to it against Brazil. Uh, unsurprising to see a few changes against Spain, but um, look, it's a really good question and it's a fine balance of trying to strike a bit of continuity in your squad and not wanting to just put out a completely different team every time, but also recognising some of those key areas where a lot of kilometres are clocked and and perhaps rotating a little bit more through there um, in that Brazil game. Um, Not entirely unusual in tournament football. We saw recently in the Women's Euro, Serena Wiegmann playing a very consistent squad across the championship winning side in the England team. So you can see both sides to the story when something's working well. So don't broke, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But um, I guess the counter-argument to that is getting the most out of the, the bodies and the legs that you've got available in really short turnarounds. Who's the player that enhanced their reputation and made you think, well, you are going to be a very, very good player for Australia moving forward? Was there one player that you thought enhanced their reputation? Yeah, uh, someone I spoke about um, before the opening game against Costa Rica was Daniela Galic. Um, she's such a young player. She's 16. And when I say 16, I mean freshly minted 16 so she's just a real pup but I watched her earlier in the year against um, again uh, the New Zealand junior football ferns when the young Matildas had a couple of games here in Canberra and she stood out to me then and I thought well I don't know much about this young player to come up through the institute in New South Wales but she is class she is um, a central midfielder, really athletic, very technical for a young player. She's got an excellent touch, um, hard working. And I thought in that game against Costa Rica, she, she did stand out. She did shine. Um, and I think she'll be part of the national team set up at both a youth level and a senior Matilda's team for many, many years to come. Now, some of our big guns who are eligible to play in this tournament from an age perspective didn't. Do you think Mary Fowler... Kyra, Cooney, Cross, Courtney, Nevin would have made any difference to any of those results? Yeah, look, I, I think they could have, and it's a really tough one. Um, I can understand, particularly Mary Fowler, who's recently joined Manchester City in the WSL, sort of the club held onto her fairly tightly there, and similarly, uh, Courtney Nevin and Kyra Cooney Cross with Hammerby, the club didn't release them for the tournament, which is a bit of a, a bit of a disappointment. Um, and I just reflect back on my experience with the Under Twenty Women's World Cup that I attended. And I was a young player. I didn't play any minutes at that tournament. But it is one of the fondest memories I have of international football in my career. And it's a World Cup and and no one can take that away from you. So for the girls to not be there and not have that experience, um, I think it's a bit of a shame for their their football journey. But also they're obviously in the senior Matildas squad or very much in that frame as well. So you can understand, again, both sides to that story. Tell us about um, a couple of players that stood out to me. I thought Sarah Hunter had a good tournament. She was um, 
really hard working, played a lot of time. Um, can you just reflect on her uh, involvement uh, throughout the course of uh, the tournament? Yeah, yeah, she's key. She's um, a, a linchpin in this young Matilda squad. And um, had I not mentioned Gullich, it definitely would have been Hunter, the, the second player out of the gates. And she, um, similar position in that she's a, a midfielder, box to box, works really hard. Mind, mind, sorry, the drop in of your <laughs> box to box there. But um, she, she's excellent too. And she's also technically very gifted. Um, she had a great season at Sydney FC this year in the Liberty A League women's. Um, and if Going strength to strength at the moment, and, and when you look at the balance across this young Matilda's squad, um, she's definitely got an edge. And uh, I think similarly to, to Garlitz, she will be involved in, in youth women's football and senior women's football in Australia for many years to come, and I'm sure she's keen to have another really strong season here domestically. Grace, before we let you go, um, it's it's less than two weeks away before uh, the uh, the senior Matilda squad takes on uh, the uh, uh, Tokyo Olympic gold medalist Canada in in a double header over the course of three days. Uh, uh, the the Matildas are coming off the back of some pretty poor recent results, and there was a lot of pressure on Tony Gustafsson after those results. Uh, um, what expectations do you have uh, as we as we face um, the, uh, the the well, let's say the might of Canada. Yeah, they they beat Sweden and um, and you know they were able to keep the USA away from the gold medal, which is a, a rare thing in a women's top flight competition. So yeah, expectations. What are reasonable expectations for, for this um, this double letter? It's a really good question, and particularly after difficult results that the Matildas had not too long ago against Spain and and Portugal. Um, obviously, Spain shipped. Seven goals past them just in late June, and that's a really tough one. You mentioned there a lot of pressure on Tony Gustafsson. In terms of expectations coming into these games against Canada, back on home soil, obviously there's a lift there. Those games, uh, I can say really confidently, will be well attended, um, both up in Brisbane and in Sydney. Um, so that immediately gives the Matildas the front foot, but. Canada are the, the gold medalists of the Olympics and they beat some really tough competition to be so and, and deservedly so too. I think in terms of expectations, what we want to see from the Matildas at this time, 12, 12 months out from the World Cup here in Australia, is, is getting good results and if not really, really strong results playing a brand of football that we can see what is then leading into this final 12 months of preparation into the World Cup here in Australia. So playing a brand that people can reflect back on and say, well, the result didn't quite fall our way, but I can see exactly what is happening there and why things have been done the way they've been done. And I think in terms of success or what we look for is a measure or a yardstick, it's got to be either results or a really positive style of football. Hey, Grace, we'll let you go. Thank you so much uh, for, for joining us. We know you had a little bit of a tumble in training uh, and uh, you're sort of resting up and recovering, but um, we're really grateful for your time and insights into, well, the young and the, well, it's the senior Matildas. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. No worries, Grace Gill. Matilda and football commentator gives us uh, some excellent insights into uh, the, uh, the the rising star women and, uh, and our senior squad. Okay, stick around. We're going to talk some more Matildas after the break. We're going to talk some Socceroos ahead of the World Cup, which is not far away now. That's all next on Box to Box. Well, we do love to buy our Hoyt Spices, and we love cooking and eating on this show. And our friends at Hoyt Herbs and Spices, Johnny Accardo, how are you, brother? Are always on hands for tips and advice on how to add flavour and taste to the kitchen and change the mood of your food. Now, Willem, um, I suspect you like southern fried chicken, um, but without mentioning any particular names. Absolutely, yes. Well, how would you go making it at home? Have you ever tried it? Uh, a month ago, poorly, 
Yeah. But in the past month, uh, now that Hoyt's herbs and spices are a big part of my pantry and my world, rather well. Well, I'm going to reel off, um, I think, 12 herbs and spices, three cups of corn flour, get your garlic powder, paprika, oregano, mustard powder, allspice, curry powder, turmeric, cumin, cayenne pepper, salt and pepper. What you need to do is put your chicken in there with some... Uh, a bath of, of milk and egg wash and then fry it. I'm telling you, it will taste super authentic. I mean, Edge, I don't think you would have been getting out of that southern fried chicken over there in Thailand, would you? None of that, Rob. But I'm just, I'm just, is it oregano or oregano? It could be both, depending on where you come from. Absolutely. But if you just but heard... You can get both of them from the Hoyt's uh, uh, category in your local exactly. supermarket. Exactly. So, so what you want to do, make that little mix, put your chicken in there, then dip it in the egg and milk wash, put back in the herbs and spices, fry it off in some olive oil. Mm. Box to box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes. This is Box to Box, more Matildas and Socceroos with Willem in a moment. Uh, um, great chat with Grace Gill. She is not only uh, an expert, but she's a great analyst and a great uh, a great guest. Uh, I think uh, anyone who's listened to this show for a long time knows that, uh, you know, we do tend to get some uh, great talent on the show, but for somebody like her who, uh, you know, really responds to the questions and brings uh, something of herself to, to the conversation, uh, I've really enjoyed chatting to Grace. But Willem, before you get stuck into more, Matildas and Socceroos news. Um, what's the latest? I mean, are there any tickets left uh, on the the Green and Gold Army uh, bus to uh, proverbial bus uh, plane uh, ship, whatever it is, to get to uh, look up? Of the two men you're currently speaking to, Rob, I'm probably the second one to ask that question. Uh, but you can jump on the Green and Gold Army website at all times gga.travel.com. Uh, .au. Michael, I hear there are uh, packages still available and, of course, plenty of interest to be registered for the Men's Asian Cup uh, and Paris Olympics 2024. Yeah, we've still got some packages left, um, <clears throat> not many, so you'll need to be quick, but uh, no, we, we are uh, really set for a fantastic time in Qatar. It's going to come around quick, um, and uh, if you've still got um, the opportunity to go, uh, I encourage you to get in contact with us. There's less than 20 packages left at the moment, and um, they'll be snapped up pretty pretty soon. And I think in a couple of weeks we might be saying we're sold out, and uh, we are setting themselves setting ourselves for a great program. And just before joining you guys, I've been on a long uh, a project meeting uh, with everybody associated with the program, and uh, the excitement is building. Put it that way. Great news this week, Michael, to see the return of Elise Kellon Knight to professional football after back-to-back ACL injuries. She's playing for Hammerby, of course, in Sweden at the minute, and they enjoyed a 1-0 win. Courtney Nevin and Kyra Cooney-Cross were on the park with her as well. Uh, At 32, she's been such a magnificent contributor, uh, so low fuss and under the radar, really, but keeps that midfield ticking time, and again, for the Matildas over the past decade and a little bit. Do you think at her age, she still has an international future off the back of such, uh, yeah, traumatic injuries? Two two ACLs is, is is not insignificant. Well, she needs to put together a, a, a good work, um, a good um, period of games, to give herself every opportunity. It's just whether her body could stand up. Um, she did um, not make it through the 2019 FIFA Women's World Cup in France. She went down halfway through as well. She's been plagued with injuries, uh, at least in the latter part of her career. But we all know um, her personality and her leadership qualities are, are highly respected within uh, football Australia and everybody who makes the decisions around the Matildas. So she'd have to be some chance, but really 
you know, it's all about whether her body's okay. Um, she can play in that defensive um, position as well as a defensive midfielder, but she has played um, as a fullback previously as well. Um, you know, I, I think that um, circumstances might dial her in, but I'd really like to see her get, you know, uh, 15 or 16 games under her belt before we're talking about her returning to the Matildas. Alma Bill has become the first Australian outfield player since John Aloisi to play in La Liga, the Spanish top flight, coming on in the or for the whole second half of Cadiz's 1-0 loss to Real Sociedad. This Saturday, they face a trip to Aloisi's former club, uh, Osasuna. In the Premier League, Tyrese Francois made his second league top flight, let me do that again, second top flight league appearance for Fulham in three games. Rob, you've had an eye on him. Uh, they were only a minute each, and they were separated by a full season in the championship. But very good signs, nonetheless, for the Tyrese, who's just signed that long-term extension. Yeah, it's fantastic, uh, especially with the World Cup not far away. I mean, these guys playing in the top flight uh, um, brings them into the spotlight for, for selection uh, in Arnie's squad. And, um, and you know, it's one of those situations where we... we, we uh, uh, we know that the the squad depth um, that got us through was was you know pretty much paper thin at times. Um, uh, we had obviously a lot of injuries and players. Uh, you know uh, um, Harry Suto, one in particular, um, Aaron Moy not getting enough game time. So the 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 momentum, the pendulum of that 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 was at its nadir when we looked like we weren't going to go to the World Cup just seems to be gradually shifting um, in the right kind of direction, doesn't it? It does. Denis Jean-Rou as well with Toulouse has come off the bench in their first two fixtures back in the French top flight. So that's excellent to see that he's still part of their first team plans up a grade. Things aren't going as well though, Michael, for Mark Birigidi and Aziz Bayic at Dundee. They both partook in a 7-0 loss to Alakmar in the Europa Conference League qualifiers and then in a 4-1 loss to Hearts in the league. Cam Devlin and Kai Rolls both enjoyed the day on the other side of the ledger uh, with 90 minutes apiece. Not good for Mark Birigidi. Um, you've got a feel for him, and it conjured up, perhaps unfairly, but memories of uh, Michael Theoklatos' spell uh, with Norwich, where he was a solid A-League, or better than a solid A-League keeper for a decade, when and got his chance overseas and was bounced out just as quickly. He would love to know what happened in that game. have no idea why uh, they copped seven goals, but you, know, you would expect uh, Dutch football is well and truly uh, superior to uh, Scottish, so that baby's got something to do with it, but... Yeah, that's a bit of a concern. Birigidi's gone over there with big wraps on him. Um, we know from the Theoklatos experience there's that, uh, you know, clubs who don't have a, uh, a complete understanding of a particular player, they, especially goalkeepers, they can lose confidence in them rapidly. So let's hope that doesn't happen for Mark because we know he's quality. He's a good, good player, a good goalkeeper, and this was a big opportunity to cut his teeth in Europe and make something uh, more of his career than already what he has done. We're un still under, well, we're under two months away from the A-League season, and one of the big stories that everyone will be watching is how Sydney FC under Steve Corica bounce back. There was obviously a little bit of fan discontent, but I don't think the club were ever going to move Corica on, but it is certainly on him to rebuild. He's filled his foreign quota nice and early, which is uh, a good sign to get everything sort of humming along on the training park. Joe Lolly is a former Huddersfield teammate of Aaron Moy. Uh, he's only 29 and has also had great success at Nottingham Forest. Uh, he is going to be joined by Slovakian Robert Mack on a two-year deal. Uh, he's only 31 and he scored one of the goals of last year's Euros. Uh, he's been to the Euros twice with Slovakia and stood out, so that's an excellent signing. They've also lured Jack Rodwell from the West, the Wanderers. Uh, that's one back for Milos Ninkovic, although maybe not uh, to the same extent, but you get what I'm trying to say. And Spanish left-back Diego Caballo, who we've seen a little bit of in the Cup. Uh, Rob, so it looks like it's going to be Lolly 
and Mac on the wings with Adam LaFondra, uh, one of those sort of old boys they've they've retained. So things looking relatively strong uh, for Steve Corica and Sydney FC. As I said, good to get these players in nice and early. Yeah, I'll be interested. Um, our next guest, Simon Stone from the BBC, we're going to talk about Nottingham Forest. And of course, Joe Lolly was one of the players that uh, that uh, that was involved in that campaign of promotion. So uh, I, I'm definitely going to ask Simon what his thoughts are on Joe Lolly and a few other uh, Forest uh, players who have, have come to the A-League as well to and it gets you get a sense of of, of his uh, um, expectations at the very least. Um, you know these uh, these players. You know uh, were, were obviously good championship players, and and we've often said that we our expectation was that the uh, A League was uh, you know. A, a, not quite at the standard of the championship, but we aspire to be at the standard of the championship. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what uh, this group of players, literally straight out of a promotion uh, squad in in the Forest uh, outfit, um, can do in the A League. And a left field one to close. Michael, have you seen the footage of Andrew Redmayne walking through the streets in Peru and then into the bull ring, taking on uh, taking on the bull as the matador and getting oh, yeah. gored on the ground? I have seen that footage and I uh, laughed for about 20 minutes. Uh, absolute classic because the bull cleans him up big time. It is some of the most extraordinary footage you've ever seen. And if you haven't seen it, it has been retweeted on the box to box Twitter account. So get on there, uh, have a laugh, and particularly enjoy the very feeble attempt to mount the goalpost, which is some of the uh, sort of dodgiest <laughs> plastic you've ever seen. It wasn't going to hold up for two seconds, falls on his backside and gets gored by the bull. Yeah, the bull absolutely takes him to task, doesn't he? And. Uh, I'm sure um, most of the people in attendance uh, would have enjoyed that. But uh, whoever did that, uh, whoever thought of that, uh, dressing up as Andrew Redmayne and getting in the uh, the bull ring in Peru to uh, wind up the crowd, um, yeah, well done. I don't know if he enjoyed the uh, bull goring him. So. He nailed the wiggle dance. He nailed the little <laughs> squat with the, the smile and the head turned as well. It was perfect, Rob. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it, it was funny. Well done, Willem, for tweeting that out as well. But, uh, hey, I think I'd rather be the Socceroos than um, the Peruvians watching uh, a fake Andrew Redmayne getting himself smashed up uh, as we look ahead to the World Cup. Uh, sorry to our Peruvian listeners, um, but that's just the fact. All right, boys, well done. Uh, we are going to talk to Simon Stone, who I mentioned just a moment ago, the, uh, the great Nottingham Forest Club uh, with uh, with such a storied history back in the Premier League. They've been absent for 20-plus years, and uh, they've had a great start. They um, they slipped up in, obviously, their opening match against Newcastle at St James's Park, but uh, their, their home debut at uh, the city ground was, was fantastic, and uh, we are very keen to see what Simon thinks about them and uh, and uh, their uh, expectations for the season ahead. Well, it's time to stock up and save. Where else? Yes, Chemist Warehouse. I know Willem was talking to us last week about his summer body, which he's getting prepared for Bondi Protein. Go Slim. It bland. They're planned one kilogram assorted varieties for $34.99. Fat Blaster Weight Loss Shake Variety Pack. I think I might go down and find about five kilos that I'm just finding a little difficult to get rid of. 14 sachets for $23.09. And at Chemist Warehouse, the Wagner Triple Strength Omega 3 Fish Oil. Michael, 150 capsules, $18.99. That's a good deal. Fish oil, good for your joints, good for your overall health. That is a good deal. Give me some of that, Rob. Okay, Microgenics, I will. Microgenics Immune Support, 120 capsules for $14.29. And Go Healthy Magnesium Sleep, 60 capsules for just $19.49. Chemist Warehouse, they're great savings. Are every single day. Box to box. Can you believe it? 
for Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices, changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal. Yes, this is Box to Box now. As we said off the top of the show, after a 20-plus year exile from the top flight, one of the great clubs of English football has returned to the Premier League this season and it didn't take long for Nottingham Forest to lift the proverbial roof at the city ground with a thrilling round two win over one of last season's big improvers and to talk about their prospects for the season ahead, we welcome the BBC Simon Stone to the show. How are you, Simon? I'm good. I'm good. Yes, it was a fantastic trip to the city ground for me on... um on Sunday, uh, it's a long, long time since I first went there, and in a way, not much has changed. But it was fabulous to go and see such a famous old club, one of England's historic clubs, uh, return to the top flight of English football. Yeah, and they did it against uh, West Ham as well, um, Simon. And you know, West Ham, are, you know, obviously established Premier League team, have have lofty aspirations. So they didn't just do it against anyone; they did it against a, a pretty solid outfit, and that will give them a bit of encouragement, won't it? It will. Although, um, funnily enough, I've I've been speaking to people at West Ham this week, and it's kind of reflecting on the game. And I think there's a general acceptance that they could probably still be playing now, and they still wouldn't have scored. They managed to botch numerous chances. They had a goal disallowed very controversially. They missed a penalty. They hit the crossbar twice. It, it was just one of those games where you just thought, there's no way that West Ham are going to win this match. It's, fate has conspired. Nottingham Forest goal was fortunate in the extreme. It was just a kind of stub pass to nobody from Jesse Lingard that hit a West Ham defender and then bounced into a forest striker and then it went in and it's just seemed that everything was aligned. Um, It's funny really because I'm in my 50s now and I just think of Forest as being a huge, huge club and uh, deserving of their place in the Premier League, whereas a lot of younger fans, they clearly have only known Forrest playing in the Championship or in League One and they don't have that same kind of background knowledge of Brian Clough and Peter Taylor and uh, Trevor Francis and European Cups and all that kind of stuff. It, it's it's funny how, how time moves on and, and perceptions about football clubs change. But I, to me, Forrest are just a... A great, great club. Yeah, and you, you mentioned that West Ham uh, weren't going to score in a month of Sundays, and I suppose one of the reasons for that was Dean Henderson. And you'll you'll be familiar with him, obviously. You cover the Man United beat extensively. He he has come in along with Jesse Lingard, who you mentioned too. Um, we, we you know we won't go on to Manchester United's woes in this interview, but what what does um, what do those players mean to to Forrest, and have they got a bit of a coup in Dean Henderson? Dean Henderson was one of two or three goalkeepers actually similar age. Sam Johnson is another who's gone to Crystal Palace and uh, Nick Pope is another who's now at Newcastle. And they're all kind of vying for the third spot really behind Jordan Pickford and Aaron Ramsdale in Gareth Southgate's World Cup squad. And they all needed to play. So um, Henderson was kind of... I suppose looking round for somewhere where he was going to get a chance and he gave a pretty forthright interview after he'd he'd joined Forrest saying that he felt let down by Manchester United because he was um, 
it was assured by Ole Gunnar Solskjaer that he was going to start last season as the number one goalkeeper. And then he got COVID and missed the start of the season and never got his place back. So he was pretty sore about that. Um, but Henderson is a very, very good goalkeeper and he's an exceptional shot stopper. And he proved that on Sunday, whether he's got the distribution that the top clubs need, I don't know, but he was certainly... Um, uh, Sheffield United in their um, season in the Premier League when they survived, he was one of the major reasons for that. So I think it, you know, the Nottingham Forest have got someone there who has gone down the track in terms of going to a, a, a newly promoted club and and helping them and being a positive influence both on and off the pitch. Jesse Lingard is a, a real eye opener because they've obviously paid a lot of money to him in wages. Um, he had a lot of options to play in a lot of places, including uh, bizarrely West Ham. Um, and he's chosen Forrest when Forrest really uh, 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 trying to kind of scramble and get the players in to, to give them the cha- best chance of, of staying up, really. So I think it's a major coup in the sense of getting a name, getting an international player. Um, and Lingard really has got to deliver for them for the, for the money and reputation that that he has. I think they're kind of two different signings in a way, but both show the ambition of Nottingham Forest. There's no lack of ambition, is there, Simon? Because unlike some teams that are promoted who maybe add a little to their squad, but, you know, you think of Brentford, for example, who, who went with the same blueprint. Leeds United kind of went with the same blueprint when, when they came up. Uh, Forest have added um, 12 players. We won't go through them individually, but obviously uh, we've mentioned two of them, Nico Williams from from Liverpool, another one that catches the eye, possibly Hassam Arar from, uh, from Lyon uh, could be coming along long-time target for Arsenal amongst other teams. They're they're really kind of throwing the kitchen sink at this, it seems. Yeah, there's another two as well, Luce O'Brien and Harry Toffolo, that they went straight to the team that they beat in the uh, Championship playoff final last year, Huddersfield, and nicked two of their their best players as well, which I think irritated Huddersfield a little bit. But yes, the, the only caveat I would say is a lot of people over here when when they see a newly promoted club doing what Forrest have done, um, they immediately think of Fulham. Uh, Fulham have obviously come back to the Premier League uh, as well this year, but they had gone down uh, after signing lots and lots and lots of new players. Um, I think it was. I think that was something like twelve or thirteen players. Yeah. And it just didn't work because the problem that you have when you when you have so many players, you've got to try and mould uh, a team and a squad out of that, and getting a kind of coherent strand through the through the squad and a, a way of playing is not always easy. And the manager Steve Cooper spoke about this after the game on Sunday, and he mentioned that he hopes that people look at why this had to happen, and basically. The promotion was um, was built on four or five uh, on loan players. One of whom, Jed Spence, has gone to uh, Tottenham now from Middlesbrough. Another one, James Garner, went back to Manchester United, but he's now uh, going to be allowed to leave on a permanent basis. But basically, they all went back to their parent clubs. Then uh, the goalkeeper Bryce Samba, he decided he wanted to go back to France, so they were almost down 
half a team on the team that got promoted to start with, then you have to bring in more quality as well. So Steve Cooper has been emphasising why why they've had to make so many signings. But I think it, it does take time and I think it will be a month, two months before we really get a good indication as to whether um, Forrest have managed to get that process complete in a way that will allow them to to compete because however you look at it, um, although Sunday was a marvellous day for the football club and a brilliant day for the team in terms of getting those crucial three points, it's only when the season starts to settle down and everybody knows where they are with their squads and the transfer windows closed that we'll know, you know, we don't really expect Manchester United to still be bottom of the league in a month's time, for instance, West Ham second bottom. We don't expect that to stay uh, for any great length of time. And once the season's settled down, then we'll have a better idea of where Forrest are going and whether all these players have, have moulded themselves into a, as I say, a coherent strand that would allow will allow them to pick up regular results, which will ensure that they don't end up in trouble at the bottom of the league. 19 and 23 years since they went down. Obviously, Steve Cooper has come up with loads and loads of praise, being the man to finally deliver the Premier League to them uh, once again. Uh, is it realistic that he'll keep his job for the entire season? And, you know, where, where do we think the owners are at? You know, are they going to be ruthless enough to uh, uproot him if uh, things don't go to plan this season? Well, it, it's a big question. And, and one of Nottingham Forest's close local rivals, Leicester, they won the Premier League, obviously, and sacked the man who delivered that in the season after when they thought they were going down. I, I, I'd, I'd take a rain check on it at the moment because you would have to say that Steve Cooper has a superb reputation both in delivering a, an under-17s World Cup for England and also the work that he did at Swansea. He got them into the playoffs a couple of times. They didn't quite manage to get promoted, but he came out of Swansea with his reputation very much intact. He's gone into Forest. They were bottom of the table when he took over and he's taken them into the Premier League. You'd have to say that that has earned him a certain amount of, of grace if things don't go quite as he wants and, and as Nottingham Forest want. But as we all know, the price of relegation from the Premier League in financial terms is extremely high and it makes people do irrational things. And you just wonder if we get to February or March and things don't look good for Forest, whether the owners will... Um, will take decisive action or whether they would accept relegation as a consequence of being promoted almost and think, well, now at least we've got parachute payments and that will put us in a, in a better position um, to get promoted again. And I don't think you can answer that question until Nottingham Forest are in that situation. They will hope the investment that they made this summer means that they're not in that situation, but, Nobody can be sure of that. And I think it will probably be February or March before we really know, um, you know, how the owners are thinking in terms of Steve Cooper and and uh, whether they're willing to stick with him, even if, if the worst worst happened. Uh, our domestic A-League is going to see the arrival of, of several of the outgoing Forest players uh, uh, to our A-League. Joe Lolly's just signed with Sydney FC. Carl uh, Jenkinson moved to the Newcastle Jets earlier uh, in the year. Jason Cummings and a man with a rather famous uh, Forest surname, Zach Clough, uh, 
have signed with the Central Coast Mariners and Adelaide United. So uh, obviously uh, these guys are not up to the standard of, of a Premier League campaign, but uh, what do you think we can expect to see from them um, in, in Australia, uh, um, given that I understand you do have some knowledge of the, of the standard of, of, of club football down here? If those guys committed and if they uh, are not just seeing this as a chance of spending some time in a country that they wouldn't normally play in, then I think they're, they're a positive. But, but there have been many instances in, not just in Australia, but all, all over. I think of MLS has been a prime example of players who've not really been committed and gone over and basically just taken the money and, and not really made much of a comp- contribution at all. I, I'm, I'm kind of wary of, of these signings, but the, the league's got to grow and, and realistically the league can't grow just with Australian players. I, I don't know whether, and, and I, I suppose they, I, I do, maybe it's a lazy comparison, but I do tend to compare um, the A-League with MLS because I guess on balance it's an English speaking league and you, you just wonder how how those leagues go there's more of an affinity and I, I just think that MLS's big advantage is that they can tap into a younger market in Central America and also South America and the standard of player is higher than Asia um, which would be the kind of natural first place to go uh, for Australian clubs if they're going to bring bring players in I suppose Korea and and Japan will be the outliers of that, but then good, really good players who Japanese and Korean players tend to gravitate to Europe anyway, and that the domestic leagues in Japan and South Korea are quite strong. So I think Australia does have a problem there in terms of how does it get players in that are not necessarily older UK players for that matter who can um, who can give the league a, a kind of take the league onto the next level really without just being a kind of big name that you're throwing money at and I, I think that's the that's the issue for the A league if those players are committed all of those players are good professionals they've had decent careers in the UK they've played at a decent level um if they're committed uh, they will be a positive influence and and again it's something that you can only assess really um in the fullness of time when you, when you know what kind of contribution those guys have made. Before we let you go though, Simon, uh, and I don't want to contradict my friend Derek uh, who did mention we wouldn't wander into uh, Manchester United territory, but I can't help myself having uh, read the article that uh, that you dropped on the, the BBC and uh, uh, it appears sources have told you that... Um, they don't fear that there's they fear that there will be no change uh, uh, to quote your article to United's current issues until Ronaldo is gone. Um, is, is this inevitable? Uh, it, it looks like um, Eric Ten Hag has got a world of pain, and uh, right in the epicenter of that is is just how he deals with Cristiano Ronaldo to to get a club that's just uh, uh, pretty much an embarrassment right now going. I think I, I I wouldn't say it was inevitable, but I think it would be better for for everybody um the way it was painted to me was ronaldo uh, we know that he wants to leave we know he wants to play for a club that's playing in the champions league um we know he's had uh 
personal issues to deal with that prevented him, for instance, being on the pre-season tour to Thailand and obviously down there in Australia. Um, those are real. Um, we're also told that he, within the training ground, is not a happy figure. He's a bit of a solitary figure as well, that the influence that it was thought he would have on the group has not really kind of turned into reality. And therefore, um, his his presence is a bit of, is a bit of a negative one. Even at, at Brentford on Saturday, he he made a half-hearted to, attempt to go and and acknowledge the fans, but he didn't really. And you could argue, well, they just lost four 0 so why would he do that? But some of the other players did, even if it was only to apologise. Um, and I, I I don't think, and and this is important. I don't think anybody is saying that Cristiano Ronaldo is to blame for where Manchester United are. And I, I, there are numerous problems at Manchester United, uh, and numerous reasons why they're in the state that they are in. But I think there's a feeling that as long as Ronaldo is there, and as long as it's obvious that he wants to leave, and he's not. Um, He's not really uh, contributing in a, a positive way to the overall situation that Manchester United can't move forward because he is such a big figure. He is such a huge personality and it, it kind of drains away all the kind of, I don't know, energy out of the group almost, having a kind of deal with him and wondering what he's thinking and what he's going to do. And almost it would be better if that was removed from the Manchester United scene and that would at least allow the dressing room, the mood around the dressing room to lift a little bit and that might bring better performances. That does not mean for one second that the issues at Manchester United will all be uh, over and they don't have any problems to deal with because that is not true. And in a, in a way, it could bring its own problems because he is the most likely source of goals still. Um, but there is a feeling that the overall performances will improve and that will mean results will get better. And you have to look at the results of the first two games and think, well, they couldn't be any worse. So um, that is the way that Manchester United are. But until a deal is done and there has been no club so far who has come forward uh, to offer Ronaldo an escape route, then... Um, United are stuck with him, but I think they are more, well, they are more disposed than ever before to letting him go. Uh, and that is where we are. Thank you for uh, for joining us uh, on the podcast, mate. No worries. No worries at all. Excellent. That is Box to Box and uh, Simon Stone from the BBC talking forest and a couple of other things. Okay, stick around. We've got a heap more to go in stoppage time after the break on Box to Box. Box to Box. Can you believe it? For Chemist Warehouse. Great savings every day. And Hoyt's Herbs and Spices. Changing the mood of food. And this could be the most crucial goal of all. Yes, this is Box to Box. This is Stoppage Time. Great chatting with Simon Stone from the BBC just now, but there's always plenty more to go uh, before we wrap the show up. Um, and uh, Derek, uh, you've uh, been steering the ship in stoppage time of recent times, mate. What are you going to start us off with? Yeah, well, I think straight off the back of Simon's fascinating interview about Forrest, we did get Man United in there, as you said, Robin. We have to we have to start there. It was it was ugly. It was humiliating, and and that was just United's lime green kit disaster. Never mind the uh, <laughs> result on the pitch, but yeah, United four 0 down after 
30 or 40 minutes. I mean, it can, you just couldn't think it could get any worse for them. Um, and yeah, uh, for Brentford though, dreamland, what, what amazing sound when that fourth goal went in and uh, you, you could get the sense the crowd couldn't, couldn't believe it themselves. So from, from the Premier League's point of view, that that was the, the standout moment and United uh, rooted to the uh, to the bottom of the Premier League and I suppose rooted by Brentford, let's say. And it won't get any easier for United because it's Liverpool is next on the agenda on, on Monday night. I know Willem spoke about Darwin Nunez at the top of the show and, and I think the comments there were all pretty evident in terms of what, what should have happened to him after his uh, his uh, headbutt or whatever you want to call it uh, there. But, you know, United will play Liverpool at Old Trafford next Monday. Uh, Rob, Liverpool not made not out of the blocks amazingly well to start with, but I suppose if you want to play one team at the moment, United would be a pretty good one. Yeah, but at home, I know I sort of remarked on this off the top of the show, but... Um, you know, it was sort of car crash stuff with Nunez um, the other day. I mean, he, he, he definitely deserved the red card. And uh, and whilst uh, a lot of uh, pundits are saying he he um, re- retaliated, I mean, if you watch the, the moments before the push, I mean, he really was the one pushing back on Anderson and gave him a little headbutt um, in, in the opening exchange. So, I mean, you contrast that with... Uh, um, Harland and uh, and and his cool, calm, collected uh, entry to the to the Premier League, uh, uh, it, it is a genuine concern. And you know what it's like. You know, it, I, I, as much as we've talked about uh, United and how poorly they're going, I mean, they, these guys are professional footballers. Um, you know, we saw them on display in in Melbourne when they came down, and they were slick and polished. And I know it was only a friendly against Palace, and uh, they had to come from behind against Victory, but but they were an absolutely well oiled machine when they're moving well. And uh, and I don't think it'd take that much for them to to click into gear. So I don't think Liverpool are going to turn up at Old Trafford and expect the points. So, uh, so yeah, I hate to say this, but um, you know, whilst all the headlines are, are on Manchester United, if uh, if Liverpool can't get all three points uh, this weekend, then I think the spotlight might shift in a different direction. If I can jump in there, Rob, you mentioned the uh, the Melbourne Victory Clash and the tour of Australia that they uh, that they conducted, and things seemed really good uh, less than a month ago. Uh, Derek, I'm not sure if you got to look at Ethan Laird. He was playing at right back and looked to be uh, your, your sort of stereotypical Manchester United youngster coming through with plenty of promise. He's been loaned out this week to Queens Park Rangers. Uh, they're favouring. Uh, Diego Dello, who's been one of the sort of poorer players across the first fortnight, and Aaron Wambasaka can't get in the team. So there seem to be some strange decisions, not only with a lot of the chat around the the very hierarchy of the club, but uh, on the pitch as well. Strange decisions all over the place. Uh, we also see, Willem, that uh, their uh, their interest in uh, Ju- Juventus's uh, French uh, midfielder Adrian Rabiot is, is off now as well, or it looks like it's off. Uh, we didn't think this was a good deal in the first place, but apparently the wage demands is a problem there and they turn their attention to Casemiro from Madrid. I don't see Casemiro going to Manchester United anytime soon. And as uh, uh, Gary Neville was uh, saying on the uh, on Sky Sports only over the weekend, like United, unfortunately, for the first time in 20 or 30 years, can't just throw money at the problem anymore. De Jong doesn't want to go. I think though, I think Rabiot's holding them to ransom, you know, and it could be that they uh, throw money at the youth or at least put 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 some uh, 
faith in the youth. They do have good young players and uh, that's how they managed to get around it in the mid-90s. So maybe we'll, we'll see that again. Uh, the, probably the most interesting, entertaining game of the uh, the weekend round was the Battle of the Bridge, the two-all between two of the contenders, with not for the Premier League, but certainly for the Champions League, Chelsea and Spurs duking it out, uh, a two-all draw and duking it out, of course, was the... Uh, the uh, the managers as well on on numerous occasions it was it was hilarious and and um, it, and all down to one manager not giving the other manager eye contact I think Tuchel didn't look Conte in the eye when he shook his hand at the end Willem uh, uh, handshaking etiquette do you think Tuchel got it all wrong there. I think he did get it all wrong because he was proven a bit of a hypocrite by some, uh, well, you you can't always tell from a still image, but there was certainly a pretty damning picture of him uh, shaking the hand of Sean Dyche when he was manager at Burnley, but certainly not not, uh, looking him in the eye. So, uh, yeah, Tuchel, a bit of be careful. Um, Look, I don't mind saying that. I think it was good. I think it was a very passionate, fiery derby. Great history between these two sides. Uh, In recent years, the the 2016 famous one when... uh, when Chelsea could have closed the gap, or rather Tottenham, sorry, could have closed the gap on Leicester and Chelsea denied them there. So uh, I don't mind seeing that sort of behaviour on occasion as long as it doesn't go uh, too far, Rob. No, agreed. Um, I mean, having been at um, Stamford Bridge on the only occasion where Spurs actually won in the Premier League era back in 2018, as I may have mentioned once or twice on this show, uh, um, like any Premier League ground, it's a, it's a hothouse. And when those two clubs play against each other and, uh, and, and the uh, result is... Uh, is as close as it was, and uh, as far as the home crowd's concerned, an undeserving um, splitting of the points uh, uh, with Spurs um, late goal that Harry Kane header. You know, it was it was a, t- a tinderbox, and uh, yeah, I don't mind as long as it goes as close to the edge as possible, but not over it. I mean, they're both being. Uh, uh, retrospectively red carded uh, uh, Tuchel um, uh, has probably come out of it worse than, than Conte um, so yeah it's emotional it's not the first time we've seen that kind of behaviour on the uh, in the technical area at Stamford Bridge One man who very much enjoyed it Rob was your ex-Liverpool man Graham Souness who has said of the match I think we've got our football back football I would enjoy men at it blow for blow and the referee letting them get on with it and he said this standing next to former England international Karen Carney, now a pundit on uh, Sky Sports, and uh, sitting with him in the studio. So uh, Sunez kind of implying that despite all of the fun in games and the magic of uh, Euro 2022 and the women, that this was pr- this was proper football, uh, proper men grew at it. But uh, I think he's mm. been reprimanded or and he's been forced to come out and at least clarify his comments. It wasn't a great look for, for old Graham, to be honest with you, but he is a bit of a, an old... Uh, Commudging at the best of times, so I wasn't that surprised. Um, mm. City and Arsenal are the only teams left with a hundred percent records, albeit only two out of two at the moment. Arsenal won a great game at home to Leicester. Uh, Jesus looked excellent, and uh, no goals from Harlem, but City absolutely stuffing Bournemouth four uh, nil. And I know Edge Rob got he's got in early with the kind of Liverpool Arsenal baiting. I'm just letting mm. you know on the show in public that I am not joining that just yet. So I'd like to see a lot more clear air between the two sides before I venture into that discussion. But given Arsenal's absolute disaster of a start to the season, losing three out of three uh, last year, winning two out of two and sitting nearly at the top of the Premier League, Rob is certainly where I want to be. I've looked at the Liverpool draw and I've looked at our draw and round eight, they could be so far behind us that they won't catch us. And that's something we just might wait a little bit longer before. And I invite you to jump on the pylon at that point. Okay. Oh, look, I always prefer mutually assured disruption, uh, disruption, uh, disruption in these things. But 
Um, but no, good good commentary there, Adrian. Glad glad someone's piling in. Uh, we've we have heard it from Rob over the years. But I'm just going to focus on Arsenal and two wins out of two. Team looks really good. New signings look really good. Um, it's just unfortunate there's a few other good teams in the league as well. So mm. we'll have to see. Um, we'll go on to Europe, gents. I know that we've we've got a packed stoppage time as usual. I'll just run around some of the European leagues quickly before we get on to any other business. Uh, Real Madrid won uh, their opening game of the uh, La Liga, and that was a hard forward win, a hard forward win over Almira 2 0. Uh, Alaba with the winner and probably the story is that Barcelona started with a nil-nil against Rayo Vallecano, team that they couldn't beat last season. Uh, they're still doing the transfer business. Kunde still hasn't been signed. Uh, Aubameyang, there's talk about him going possibly going to Chelsea or Man United. Now they're talking about Memphis uh, Depay going out to Juventus. There's all sorts going on there, but a nil-nil is not the way they would have like to start the season and uh, we did preview the uh, Italian league last year Serie A that got off to a great start all the big teams basically won and Napoli atop of the league uh, 5-2 over Verona Juventus are there behind them and a, a goal for Di Maria and uh, Lukaku got a goal within two minutes of his Serie A return of course he did um, as Inter beat, beat Lecce and even Mourinho's Roma uh, won their first won their first game as well um, Paris Saint-Germain are already top of uh, Ligue 1. We probably don't need to cover Ligue 1 now until the end of the season. That is pretty much uh, it's done. Probably the one that I want to mention is the German League. And just, again, England are now just benefiting, or they should be benefiting from the Germany very kindly, just um, developing their players now. There is another one there, uh, not uh, Jamal Musiala, who scored for Bayern Munich. And of course, he doesn't play for England now, plays for Germany, but he could have done. But um, Dortmund do beat Freiburg 3-1. I've got a Wunderkind, as they call them. Jamie Biono-Gittens. It doesn't roll off the tongue, that one, but he scored um, for Dortmund. Another English player off their production line. He came from Man City, so following the Jaden Sancho route. And uh, he will now be someone for us to look at as the season goes on. And of course, uh, Werner uh, got a goal for Leipzig on his return to Leipzig too. So of all things predictable, um, there was that one. I don't know if Edge is still on the line, but I wanted to briefly talk about MLS. Uh, LA Galaxy have just signed, and they're going to get this right, Ricky Puig. This is a 23-year-old prospect who played for Barcelona. He was held as their next big thing. And unlike some of the other players that end up at the other side of their career in MLS, Bale, uh, Insigne, and a few others that have gone there this season, Puig is very much in the pomp of his career. Um, does that say something about where MLS might be moving, Edge? I think it does, Derek. I think the um, we get a lot. We get very wrapped up and, and captured by um, what's happening in Europe football leagues, but um, the American market is massive. Um, football is continuing to make inroads. Um, the MLS uh, is expanding on a regular basis. Um, women's football is expanding on a regular basis. There's television rights keep leaping. Uh, term after term, there's a whole new bunch of new revenues. So I wouldn't be surprised if the MLS in um, in the very near future starts to overtake some big European leagues, especially the ones that are potentially financially challenged in the short term. I'm talking La Liga and Serie A in particular, outside of the big clubs. 
So, yeah, I'm not surprised that that's happening and, and I think that's probably a bit of a window into the future. And don't discount some of the big Asian leagues really ramping up soon. Um, I know this, there's the salary cap in the J leagues going up, the salary cap um, or, or total player payments. I shouldn't say salary cap. Total player payments grew um, in the K League and the J League um, by the biggest margin year on year um, over the past uh, two years in the history of the sport. So I wouldn't be surprised if uh, this trend away from Europe uh, continues as some of these European leagues start to suffer, especially if the e- economy and economic issues that Europe's facing continue to entrench themselves if there's no light at the end of the tunnel around um, you know what's happening in Ukraine. So, yeah, very is, interesting times. Is that one of your customers trying to call you to place an order for the World Cup um, in the background there? Probably, Mm, sounds like it, but uh, look, just talking uh, about the uh, the major league football in in the states, uh, I couldn't help but notice um, the very polite comments uh, of Simon Stone in our earlier discussion, uh, contrasting um, the American top flight with uh, the A League, and uh, I've been all, all, I don't know whether you picked this up uh, the same way that I did, Derek, but the interpretation that I took was that uh, that not only do they have the ability to draw on the South American youngsters who are not either uh, at the standard or quite ready to, to go to Europe, um, but Effectively, they get first dibs at uh, at the best um, of the next best of European footballers, and we get whatever's left after that. Yeah, he did say that, and I could see why he was drawing that comparison. Uh, you got to say though that MLS, uh, you know, it, it is a different ballpark, isn't it? it? Literally, and you know, the investment in the game there, the fact that they're growing those franchises there, whether it be Beckham's franchise or, you know, there's there are you know rich people piling their cash into MLS at the moment and I think that is why we're seeing the likes of uh, Puig just uh, arriving on 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 those shores why why they can afford to look after Gareth Bale's wages I'm sure he's not what he was on at Barcelona but he certainly will be on something Insigne you could argue the Italian striker um, certainly uh, could have spent some more time in Serie A he didn't need to go go when he did uh, even Chiellini there now as well so I think there is this transition away from it being a retirement home for you know fallen European giants so I, I think they've got the money to back their ambition and I, and I can see MLS pulling away from from Australia you know, it's probably subject for another podcast but we're not seeing the same kind of activity uh, you know whether you know in in, in a league unfortunately compared to compared to MLS and Look, Rob, maybe maybe we'll leave it there. I know we've already had a good long run in stoppage time. Uh, we'll do some more transfer gossip next week as we head towards the uh, the transfer window slamming. But uh, yeah, we'll leave, we'll leave it uh, and enjoy Arsenal unbeaten uh, near the top of the Premier League. And Derek, um, for a guy who is doing his level best not to jump on the pylon, you, you sort of <laughs> you, 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 you sort of look like you're on the precipice. And and don't worry, guys. I, I mean, I'm not sort of. Uh, uh, jumping on the hook uh, um, at the uh, the first time of asking, but um, I am taking notes and uh, rest assured um, if the opportunity does arise um, as the fullness of time does play out in this season, then uh, I will return serve with interest. Hey, hey Rob, we're, we're, we're all unified and I'm sorry to our Manchester United supporting followers. We do try to keep things as balanced as we can in this show, but mm. yeah, it's quite funny. 
Um, it really <laughs> is quite funny. So we can all maybe just look at that for the time being. I'm sure it will get better. <laughs> Thank you. Nothing like a condescending Arsenal supporter emerging from the gloom of uh, the post uh, Arsene Wenger era. Derek, on that note, I'll say farewell until next week. Uh, thanks, gents. Good show. Thank you, Willem. Uh, well done, mate, yet again, as always. Thank you, Rob. Edge, um, you're still there. Um, yeah, I popped um, in uh, unexpectedly there for a moment. Oh, can I just say one thing to Derek that uh, we, we, we will at least enjoy another week of being on top of Liverpool on the ladder because they can't catch us this week. Even if we lose and they win, they're still going to be behind us. So, so Rob, um, stick that in your jumper and stick that in your pipe and smoke it. Lap it up, Edge. Just lap it up, my friend. Okay, well done. And you better get back to those calls, mate, because I think you're about to put the uh, the, the shop closed sign on the, the World Cup uh, not, not too far away. Please make sure you subscribe to Box to Box wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and join us next week when we go from one end of the pitch to the other in the World Game.